0: All right, this morning we are continuing where we've been for the last couple of weeks uh, speaking about yokes and burdens. Specifically, uh, this series of messages is entitled Letting Go of the Yoke of Bondage and Oppression. Uh, And this morning I would like to focus and and major on on the area of ministering, healing and deliverance to other people. So far we have established that God has uh, what the Bible calls an anointing to help people, to lift stuff off of people's lives. You know, sometimes uh, people are not carrying anything physically, but you look at them, they're carrying stuff spiritually, and they're weighed down emotionally. Um, And the Bible says that uh, that will be a yoke, that will be some sort of oppression. And God says, I have the power to lift that off of you. And so I want to start again with our key scripture here in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27. And this is God speaking. He says, it shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck. And the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing or because of the anointing oil. And uh, just by way of recap, we've said that uh, Uh, In Scripture, the word yoke is usually linked together with words such as burden, such as oppression, such as uh, uh, kind of slavery and bondage and so forth. And God says that his anointing uh, removes the burden of the oppressor and it destroys the yoke that the enemy has laid on people's lives. Um, And the anointing, therefore, we said, is the burden-removing and the yoke-destroying power of God. And we've said that the word anointing is not generally used in our everyday English language. So we've got to spend some time to determine. It's like, what does the Bible say here and what does it actually mean? And I trust that by now you've got a better handle on what the anointing means and, uh, and what it is for. So we said that the anointing is the burden removing and the yoke destroying power of God. It is the presence and the power specifically of the Holy Spirit to heal and to liberate. And if I were to ask for a show of hands uh, right across the auditorium he, here, and I'm not going to but if I did, hands will go up everywhere of people that could testify that they know that God has lifted stuff off of, off of their lives, and many times, multiple times. Uh, it's not just a one-time kind of shot and, and everything, but multiple times where God has removed burdens and destroyed yokes in their lives. Sometimes as as, as they've been praying, other times as they have been prayed for. Other times people have been in a special meeting somewhere, could have been in a small group meeting, and people gathered around them and prayed for them. People say, oh wow, something just lifted off of me right now. And as I say, it's not many times physical things uh, that are going on. Sometimes it's emotional things that are going on, spiritual things that are going on. And in Acts chapter 10 verse 38, uh, this is absolutely a Key scripture here it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Uh, In your outline, circle the word all. Uh, He healed all who were oppressed of the devil. So it's not like hit, miss, hit, miss, hit, miss. No, he healed all who were oppressed of the devil. God's got healing for everybody that's oppressed of the devil. God is not determined for some people to remain oppressed and other people to be liberated. The the anointing will work indiscriminately if we have faith and know how to connect with the anointing. And just very briefly, before we start to cover new ground, we said that Jesus removed the burdens of sickness and demonic oppression off of people's lives. With the anointing of God on his life that 's what the power was jesus didn 't have or didn 't use any power of his own, even though he was God, but the Bible says he was he had he had been filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was that power to get that anointing to flow and then lastly, we said here in Luke chapter four, verse eighteen, we said that Jesus performed and he demonstrated six functions uh, through the anointing. And for those of you that know how to spell, just be gracious right now, okay? We've got a, a little bit of a problem here, but we will get that fixed up later on, all right? So he performed uh, and demonstrated six functions through the anointing, uh, and it's all listed there in... in uh, uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. Number one, he preached the gospel to the poor. Number two, he healed the brokenhearted. Number three, he proclaimed liberty to the captives. Number four, he proclaimed recovery of sight to the blind. Number five, he said at liberty to those who were oppressed. And number six, he proclaimed the acceptable year of the Lord. The acceptable year of the Lord is also called the year of jubilee or the year of liberty. All right. And... Uh, That's as far as we got last time, and I want to just move on from there and uh, start by reading in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. And is everybody right this morning? You seem very quiet. You seem very subdued. Everybody okay? All right. I guess you're all just listening, are you? Well, praise God for that. Let's then listen and allow the Spirit of God to speak to us here this morning. I just wanted to make sure you had not gone home already. All right. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In in my first book, I told you, uh, Theophilus, about everything that Jesus began to do and to teach. For those of you that are having a baby soon and you're wondering about a name, how about Theophilus? Uh, what would that be like for a name? <laughs> Verse 2, until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Now, book of Acts uh, Is one of the 66 individual books in the Bible, Um, and uh, here is a man by the name of Luke. Uh, In fact, Luke was a doctor. He was a a physician, Um, and he's uh, writing to uh, his friend Theophilus, um, and he talked to him about his first book. Now, of course, we understand that the first book that Luke wrote was the Gospel of Luke. All right. Gospel of Luke is basically a summary of the life and ministry of Jesus uh, from birth to death and everything in between. And Luke wrote that. um, And then he's talking about another book that he is now writing to Theophilus. And of course, that book is called the Book of Acts. So Luke uh, is one of the writers uh, of uh, different portions of the scripture. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote the Book of Acts. Uh, And here he's talking about, he says, about everything that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now, if we just skim over that that whole thing and kind of not really drill down, we are liable to miss what God is trying to tell us here. It talks about the word began. And sometimes, you know, we've got to just stop like right at one word. And sometimes people read a whole portion like, uh, you know, a whole page and try to get their head around it. I don't know about you, but that doesn't work for me. There's too much in there. So I've got to slow right down and just break it down into individual uh, portions, and sometimes a verse, I break it up into phrases, and many times I break it up into words, and try, what what's God actually trying to tell us here? And the word began here is an interesting word, uh, because uh, uh, the inference here is that if something be- begins, it needs to carry on. Sometimes, of course, we know things begin and they never do carry on. But specifically here in the Greek language, uh, which is what that portion was written in, it uses the word begin, uh, and the, the meaning of the word begin is to be the first to do, to be the first to do. Now, Jesus was the first to do and to teach something, um, and, uh, and, and again, when it says he was the first to do, the inference here is that there will be a second to do and a third to do and a fourth to do and on and on and on so that there's perpetuity. How you of know, understand the word perpetuity? You know, that's a big word for somebody like me. Uh, English is a, my second language, so everybody say perpetuity. Um, and you probably pronounce it better than what I do. But that means it just goes on and on and on and on and on. All right, and so that's what that means. Jesus began, and he wants it to carry on. Um, and then it talks here in verse 2, it says, until the day he was taken up to heaven. So, to link it all up now, he began to do and to teach until. So, in other words, he began until, and then it stopped, uh, at least for a moment. Uh, and that's kind of the understanding here. And, you know, Luke had an understanding um, that uh, understanding the plan of God, uh, he specifically wrote, not just kind of like, oh, let's just chuck something on paper and send it off to uh, Theophilus, but he says, let's be very precise here because this is about the kingdom of God. This is about eternity. This is about people's lives, and we need to get it right. You know, when it comes to salvation, we don't leave it up to luck or to chance. We need to be very precise. Okay, and that's basically what he's saying here. He says everything that Jesus began to do and to teach, number one, do, number two, teach, uh, he says until the day he was taken up to heaven. So it kind of, when Jesus was taken up to heaven, it kind of all temporarily stopped. Uh, That perpetuity had a kind of a break in it, uh, if you like. All right, it says until he was taken up to heaven by giving his chosen a apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. And so immediately my mind says, well, what were the instructions then? Because that's what we want to know. Uh, all right. So what were the instructions? Well, the instructions were to be, uh, to kind of put it in summary, is to basically continue to do and to teach what Jesus had begun to do and to teach. All right. That's what the instructions were. He, Jesus actually instructed his disciples over a series of meetings he met with them not just once but several times um, and he gave them uh, what uh, has become known as the Great Commission uh, sometimes it was in quite short summary and other times he's kind of expanded it out and told us what exactly is included in that Great Commission here um, and, uh, and then it goes on to say here in uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 4, and we're still in the book of Acts, it says, And in one of those meetings, he told them not to leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit had come upon them in fulfillment of the Father's promise, a matter that he had previously discussed with them. So let's get the picture here. All right. Um, Jesus um, had lived Uh, to age about 30 years. He went into what we call public ministry for about three to three and a half years. Come to the end of that, he's crucified on the cross. And, of course, sometimes people say, oh, these naughty Romans, they crucified Jesus. Uh, and, uh, but actually, uh, uh, in fact, they say that the Jews, these naughty Jews crucified Jesus. Well, actually, it wasn't the Jews. It was actually the Romans that crucified him. Uh, and sometimes people interpret everything on a natural level, and they start to make racist comments about this one, about that one, about the other. Listen, the crucifixion was the plan of God. All right, And it was all about Jesus paying the price for our sins so that we could be saved. That's what this is all about. So Jesus gets the end of his life. He's crucified. The Bible tells us that he went to hell on our behalf. So we don't have to go there. On the third day, he rose again. Um, he had a bodily resurrection that, uh, that uh, bo- the, the body was no longer in the tomb. He's now around again. He is appearing to his disciples over a period of, different, uh, uh, of some days uh, with different meetings. And that's why it says here, in one of those meetings, he told them not to leave Jerusalem. Now get the picture here. Jesus is about to go to heaven. He's about to disappear, not to be seen again, until he comes back a second time uh, in the not-too-distant future. And he knows that there's going to be a couple of thousand years um, uh, that the church has to operate and function, and he knows what he's about to say is very, very important. All right? Uh, And it's not like, you know, now he's not making flipping comments. There's not enough time for flipping comments. There's not about time for like, you know, for just uh, small talk. (laughs) it's just not time for small talk. It's like into it. All right, guys, you need to remember this and this and this. And he's now instructing them. The first thing he says, don't leave Jerusalem. Because we know Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem. All his disciples are there. He rose from the dead in Jerusalem. And before he goes to heaven, he says, don't go anywhere until he says, uh, the Holy Spirit has come upon you in fulfillment of the Father's promise. Because we know uh, some days later the day of Pentecost happened and the Holy Spirit was poured out on these very believers that he's talking to right here. And he says uh, in verse 5, John baptized you with water and he reminded them, he says, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit in just a few days. So he's talking about different baptisms there. Uh, sometimes people uh, get all the different aspects of baptisms mixed up. Uh, There's specific rules around certain baptisms, and if people mix them up, they get horribly confused. Jesus is saying, look, the John baptized you in water. That was a baptism unto repentance, but he says, but you, he says, you guys, John baptized everybody, but he says, you, the believers, will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, he says, in just a few days. And, you know, it wouldn't be very, very complicated to work out how many days will be. According to my rough calculation, it was about five or six days uh, from that moment forward that the day of Pentecost actually happened. All right. Now... What happened? Uh, why did they need the Holy Spirit in their lives? Why did Jesus say, come on, guys, don't, don't you go anywhere? I know I've told you to go and preach the gospel to do this and to do that. But he says, right now, he says, don't go anywhere. He says, because the Holy Spirit is the anointing to remove burdens and to destroy yokes in people's lives. I know this is very basic, but sometimes people skim over that and miss the whole point. Basically what Jesus was saying, he says, you need the same Holy Spirit that I had. So that you can do the same things that I have done with the same anointing that I have received. That's basically what Jesus was saying. Sometimes people say, well, well being baptized with the Holy Spirit, they say, I've, I've got the Holy Spirit. Uh, well, let me ask you the question. Do you speak in tongues? Um, and people say, well, well no, no. Well, then, then you haven't got the baptism with the Holy Spirit. That's what that means. You know, the old-time Pentecostals, um, used to say, the baptism with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And I think that's a good saying, because we're not just vague. Sometimes, oh, I had a good feeling. I was in a meeting. I had a good feeling. Uh, no, 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 no. The baptism with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. If somebody is baptized with the Holy Spirit, there's the evidence of speaking in tongues. If there's not the evidence of speaking in tongues, there has not been the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now most new Christians that love God want to go all the way and it's not a problem. But you know what? We've had teaching against the Holy Spirit We've got we've got whole church movements that are like, oh, no, that's off the devil. How they ever figured that out, I don't know. Uh, and so, so you've got to now spend time and just go over these things very carefully to undo some of the thinking that people have had over the years because they've had lies taught to them rather than the truth of God's word. So let me just summarize again, and we deal with that sort of stuff extensively in our in our foundational and now spiritual growth courses uh, where we get more time to get right into the detail of it. Let me tell you, when somebody gets born again, it is the most fantastic and the most important experience that anybody could ever have. It's to make Jesus the Lord of their lives, to make sure that they actually go to heaven instead of going to hell. But there is a second experience. Everybody say a second experience or an additional experience called the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He says, you need the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Because he's already told them previously in Acts chapter 28, he says, He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He says, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter, should I say, in, in 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 Mark's Gospel chapter sixteen, and we'll get there a little bit later on. He says, "These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They will cast out devils." He says, "They will speak with new tongues. They lay hands on the sick." And he says, "And this is all what all the believers do." But here's the here's the, here's the trick: it's the believers that have been baptized with the Holy Spirit, because these guys might have been tempted to say, "All right, well, let's get out there." Jesus says, "Don't go anywhere until you got the Holy Spirit." All right. so in other words, the Holy Spirit is then the power, is then the anointing to get the job done. So when you lay hands on people, they will actually get healed. When you cast out devils, they will actually leave because not only are you speaking words, not only are you laying hands, but there is an oomph behind that there is a power, there is an anointing to remove burdens and to destroy yokes in people's lives. Christ God. And some of you are more excited than others. John chapter 14, verse 12. Most assuredly, Jesus speaking, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Now, he's talking about doing things again. What were the works that Jesus did? Well... He went around, he prayed for the sick, he cast out devils, he raised people from the dead, uh, and he taught people about the kingdom of God. Um, That was the works that Jesus did for those three, three and a half years that he was in his public ministry. Uh, Is an itinerant uh, prophet, we might say, traveling from town to town, from city to city, from community to community, to kind of proclaim the kingdom of God, And then he demonstrated the power of God uh, in their lives. And then he says, the works that I do, you will do also, he says, and greater works than these will you do because I go to my Father. And that's an interesting comment. He says, says, you will do greater works because, because I go to my Father. Now, sometimes people have said, what are the greater works? And somebody said, let's just do the works and then worry about the greater works. All right. So sometimes let's just get going. Let's just not now get get all uh, too too bogged down with trying to ask the question, what are the greater works? Well, let me just give you a thought here. You know, back then uh, they didn't have electricity, uh, so they didn't have television back then. They couldn't reach millions, millions of people in one meeting, which is now... Uh, quite possible. Nowadays, we've got the internet. Uh, there's just stuff going on right now where the earth is covered with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that was physically impossible for Jesus to do. He was just one man going from place to place uh, in one spot at any given time. So right there, uh, today we are able to go a whole lot further uh, than what Jesus was able to do because for a start, he only began and we are supposed to carry on. And he did the works and he says, you will do the greater works. All right, he says, because I go to my father, because I go to my father. And of course, in another place, he mentioned that he says, when he was going to go to the father, he says, he says, and I will pray that he will send you another, another helper, uh, that he will send you the comforter. And here it is in Acts chapter 14, verse 16. And he says, and I will pray the father. He says that he will give you another helper. Helper is written with capital H. Uh, this is reference to the third member of the Trinity, specifically the Holy Spirit. He says he will send you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Jesus says, I'm leaving you, but the Holy Spirit is coming and he will never leave you. Uh, he will never forsake you um, And he will be with you forever, he says. The spirit of truth. Um, You know what? um, The Holy Spirit, the spirit of God, spirit of truth, spirit of Christ. These are all different names for the same person. It's basically the third member of the Trinity. You know, when people got the the spirit of truth in their lives, it's very difficult for lies to remain because the spirit of truth will just kind of circle through the person's heart and mind and memory and just constantly scan it's like a virus scan on a computer. Just search out those lies. Search out those deceptions. Here is a lie. You need to deal with this lie. And how do we deal with the lie? Well, we deal with the lie with the truth of God's Word. That's why the preaching of the Word is so important because people can go from one week to the next week, from Sunday to Sunday, and on Tuesday they get into a lie, and on Wednesday it starts working in their lives, and on Thursday they're in a mess. Now I'm not saying that that's what happens every time, <laughs> I'm not suggesting that's what happens to every question, but sometimes uh, it's amazing what, what, what can happen, how the devil can get into people's lives between Sunday to Sunday. Uh, and what's sometimes worse is that people miss a Sunday or two and then the devil just works away and the lies really start to get ingrained uh, in people's lives. And of course then their lives go off and then the lie starts to yield fruit in their lives and then it goes from disaster to disaster. So he says, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Um, Friend, if you have not already been baptized with the Holy Spirit, I encourage you don't don't even leave this place here this morning don't don't even go anywhere that's what Jesus was saying. he says, don't leave Jerusalem until you've received the Holy Spirit don't go anywhere you're not going to make it without the Holy Spirit and 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 you're not going to have the power without the Holy Spirit and you're not going to fulfill the great commission without the Holy Spirit you're not gonna you're not going to be able to do anything much without the Holy Spirit or people try and people say oh boy it's so hard oh gosh I'm just so it's just so hard well without the Holy Spirit <laughs> it's like doing something that we're not empowered to do that's why we spent quite a bit of time in this church talking about the Holy Spirit and uh, you know, we could get into all sorts of details—Old uh, Testament, New Testament—and in Bible college, we do. We drill down into de- detail. But you know what? If the summary, if the summary of what we are talking about uh, on any given Sunday over a whole year, if that could be summarized into two things, uh, he says. Get filled with the Word and get filled with the Spirit, and you got those two going on. Then you're living a life, a buoyant life, above the circumstances of life, above depression, and above all the, a lot of the things that are going on. And if stuff to, comes against you, you're equipped to deal with because you got the Word and you got the Spirit in your life. All right? How many of you are excited this morning? Praise God. We we are somehow, you know, the, you know, life life has got stuff going on, and sometimes it's like, where does that come from? Well, we can't always explain where it comes from, but we know how to deal with it. If we've got the Word in us and the Spirit in us, we know how to deal with that. In fact, the Bible speaks about trials and tests and temptations. Uh, and the book of James gets right into all of that. And, and he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials and tests and temptations. He says, count it all joy. And then he talks about, he says, when we come out. And, 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 and then that you're still perfect and entire. And he says, lacking nothing. And... Uh, Somebody said once, uh, you know, as far as trials and tests and temptations are concerned, we're either about to go into one or we're in the middle of one right now or we're about to come out of one. (laughs) Sometimes, Sometimes people say, well, you know, you need to give your life to Jesus and all your problems will be over. Well, you know what? If that's what they say to you, they lie to you. <laughs> okay? <laughs> they didn't tell you the truth. Because life is filled with challenges. And God knows that. And he says, you need the Holy Spirit to help you to deal with life's problems. And because specifically for the purpose of our study here, we're talking about helping other people. We've already talked about in our journey about the anointing, to receive the anointing, to have burdens and yokes destroyed in our lives. And now we get filled with the same power and we help to destroy uh, Yokes in other people's lives and lift burdens off of their lives. Praise the Lord. says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Uh, people in the world don't have the spirit of God in their life. Now, it's not to say that God can't from outside, you know, direct them and, and, and so forth. And he does. But for us as believers, we have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. And sometimes for us as spirit-filled believers, we, we're sometimes so used to just stuff going on all the time. There's just all conversation going on all the time. There's praise going on all the time. You see, the Holy Spirit helps us to praise God. Um, and then when we get a bit tired, it's suddenly it's like we rebound again because we know how to get refilled with the Holy Spirit. When we're facing challenges, we just uh, we just pray and somewhere, you know, it's just thoughts. Sometimes it's it's almost like it's called self-talk, but it's not self-talk, it's the Holy Spirit speaking to us from the inside of us and giving us answers. And sometimes I go to bed with a with a with a kind of a question on my mind and on a warning, I wake up with the answer. And what's happened in the middle of the night, the Spirit of God has impressed, has impressed solutions regarding situations and problems and challenges uh, and so forth. And so whether we are awake or whether we are asleep, the Spirit of God's always speaking to us, always giving us stuff, always, always, always. Uh, that's why spirit-filled believers are the happy believers. Spirit-filled believers are the, the, the victorious Christians. Spirit-filled believers are. And, you know, we know that there is a, a, a rise and a wane in terms of spirit-filled. And as I say, we we've discussed this many times over, but people forget. You know, like somebody said once, you know, the truth of the word... People leak, it just leaks out of them and then they believe the truth and suddenly they start believing in a lie. It's like, what's happened here? Well, you know, the preaching of the word needs to be repeated. We need to hear stuff over and over so that faith can come, we can be reinstructed. And here's the deal. Somebody that might have been baptized with the Holy Spirit 5, 10, 50 years ago, is no guarantee that they're they are filled today on the 14th of uh, November 2015 is no guarantee whatsoever because we need to be refilled over and over and over. Get filled up again. Get filled with the with the person and when you're filled with the person you've got the power. Alright? Just on and on and on. So again uh, Jesus says he says he says the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But he says, but you know him. And he says and he dwells with you, and he will be in you. So right now, we are a group, a community of believers come together. The Holy Spirit is with us, and he's in us. When I say he's in us, if you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. All right. So And and if he's not in the believer, then the Holy Spirit exerts a gentle kind of knock and say, I want to come in. I, I want to help you. You need me. <laughs> All right. That's why Jesus says, don't go anywhere uh, until you've received the Holy Spirit. And, of course, we know that the early disciples received the Holy Spirit specifically on the day of Pentecost. They were in a prayer meeting in the upper room praying for some days. They just watched Jesus getting getting lifted up into heaven before their very eyes. Um, and now they're praying. They're not quite sure what to do right now. They're at a bit lost. They said Jesus told us to do this, told us to do that. He says, "Wait, uh, what are we going to do? Oh, let's pray." You know, when when we're not, not sure what to do, let's pray because the Spirit of God will give us wisdom. And as we pray, there's a God intervention. Well, it came with a with a thud, like the the Bible says that suddenly there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they appeared to them uh, divided in tongues as a fire. Like there was fire on every one of them. There was fire and it was divided up. And, and sometimes we see pictures of drawings how the disciples got together and there's like a, a kind of a tongue of fire over each one of them. And it's uh, tongues as a fire. And, and then the Bible says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. Uh, is the Spirit gave them utterance. Sometimes people say, you need the baptism of fire. Well, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the baptism of fire. It brings the fire of God on the inside of us. And, uh, and so that's exactly what happened. And, 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 and suddenly they spill out into the streets. And, and the very thing that Jesus said they need to, needed to do, they did. And Peter jumps up and he starts preaching the gospel. And 3,000 people get saved. All right, they had quite a meeting on that day. Let me tell you. All right, and I'm looking forward to the to the days when uh, when you know when we're going to spill out into the streets here and we, we had a meeting here and we get a meeting out there. There's just black people everywhere. You know, it's been said that in the in the Azusa Street revival in a in a in a, a, a place in in Los Angeles, Azusa Street, uh, they had meetings night after night. And there was on numerous occasions where the fire engine was called out because somebody said, the building's on fire. The building is on fire. And what people saw was the power of the Holy Spirit and the fire of God on the building. And it was inside and touching the believers. And it's been said that that, that move of God, it was a move of the Spirit of God on uh, in Azusa Street that lasted for some, I don't know, three years or five years or thereabouts. It spawned the whole Pentecostal movement around the world today. whole denominations came out of these meetings Uh, uh, one more notably is the assemblies of God what we call the AOG church and numerous others uh, because the truth of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was restored back to the church people have struggled on without the Holy Spirit for centuries God says you need the Holy Spirit (laughs) okay and so praise God and on the day of Pentecost it all just happened um William Seymour, who was an uh, African-American man that was the minister in that particular place, and the fire engine people came in, and they said, everybody out, everybody out, the building's on fire, and he'd go out, and, and, and he'd look up and says, oh, no, no, the building's not on fire, they go back in and carry on with their meetings. You know? <laughs> Praise God. Just a manifestation of the Spirit of God. You know, when there's hungry Christians anywhere, God comes and manifests in and through them. We need to display a certain level of hunger before we're going to get an intensity of the Holy Spirit for that sort of stuff to happen. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and we're carrying on with our story that we started with here. Uh, Jesus still speaking. He says, you shall receive the power of the Holy Ghost coming upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, it's interesting, but in my study of the word, I use multiple translations. Um, just to kind of get another angle on, just to, to unlock something for me, to kind of like, what exactly is God telling us here? You know, one thing that's always bothered me over the years is that people have separated the Holy Spirit and the power. And many translations say that you shall receive power, the King James Version says, after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And uh, and most translations say exactly that. They say, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And they kind of separate the power from the Holy Spirit. But this translation here, Deut DR, it says, You shall receive the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no other power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the anointing that Jesus operated with. And that's the anointing, he said, will be available to you and to me. Every spirit-filled believer has it. Every spirit-filled believer has it. How many you know that you can have something and not know what to do with it? I was just driving in Vanessa's car the other day. uh, Dropped off at the airport and as I'm sort of uh, had a couple of other things going on, so I'm kind of waiting a bit. I'm sort of driving around and as I'm driving, I sort of, bit my finger, I felt something. I said, what's under here? There's a number of buttons there that I didn't know were there. Oh, there's a whole facility. You can turn things on and turn things off. How many you know you can have something and not know what to do with it? People got the Holy Spirit. I goosebumps. Oh, that's wonderful. (laughs) Holy Spirit is not about goosebumps. There's so much more. (laughs) So much more. You know what? One of the things that we encourage in our life group meetings is that somewhere during the get-together where the believers come together, that somewhere we're going to pray for at least one person. And we have what we call the hot seat. How do you know what the hot seat is? Like we put a chair in the middle of the room there. Say, all right, um, so-and-so, why don't you come and sit in the chair? <laughs> we do that regularly at, at our minister's meetings. We get somebody we get, a, we get somebody into the middle of that thing, and then, then we all pray. And then we all, and, and everybody somewhere, somehow lays hands on these people. And that's what we encourage in our small group meetings. And it's amazing how when young believers get a hold of this thing early, that they are filled with the power of God. And that power is there to do something, that there is an anointing that wants to remove burdens and destroy yokes in other people's lives. And, and we pray for people, and we encourage people to lay hands on them. So come on, everybody, lay hands on them. and Come on, give them a word of encouragement. And, and you know, the Bible says the prophecy, prophecy is learned. Uh, a prophecy is not something either there or not there. It's something that we get used to. And there is no better place to practice prophecy and laying hands on people than in a small group environment of anywhere between, who knows, five to 15 people or something where we can all practice and all learn how to do that and learning what it feels like when the power of God rises up and leaves you because you've laid hands on somebody and so forth. And you know, sometimes sometimes you never know what's there until you lay hands on somebody. You know, we, uh, we support this um, mission up in... Bangladesh that of course you know Peter and I have just been up there um, and of course you've heard the reports and it's just a wonderful ministry that we've got going on up there and we we support them 100% with all of their needs regarding finance for housing and for food and for medical needs and for education of the kids and everything but you know and and I'm sure that this has been mentioned along the way but that ministry was started by a lady by the name of Cardia Bevan Cardia of course has gone to heaven a number of years ago and when she got to Sorry? Oh, is she? Oh, gosh, I'm very sorry about that. I nearly sent you to heaven. That's terrible. (laughs) That is terrible. I'm sorry. Thanks for correcting me on that. I I don't know. I was under the impression. Anyway, she's retired, and she's having uh, just a little bit more of a quiet life than what she did when she was up there in in Bangladesh. (laughs) Oh, dear. Anyway. It kind of, uh, when we first met with her and we talked with her about, you know, she joined our church and she talked about the journey that she's been on. And here's a woman that at around age, 50 years of age, gets saved, goes home, kicks the guy that she was with out the house. She says, you can't live here anymore. And uh, like within a year to 80 months, she's up in Asia in the (laughs) ministry. And some of the people say, "Oh you know you 've got to do this first you 've got to do that first before listen if you 're filled with the spirit, you can start ministering to other people anyway, long story short, uh, she operated with the gift uh, the gifts of healings in her life and uh, and there was just stuff happening when she prayed for people, laid hands on them. how would she, she have ever discovered that? Lay hands on people, pray for people it 's been said that uh, how many of you have heard of the vineyard churches uh, a whole denomination, whole movement, Vineyard churches. A man by the name of John Wimber. Now I know he's gone to heaven. All right, he's no longer around. I know he's gone to heaven. <laughs> but incredible stuff happened uh, in and through that man's ministry and in, in through his life, and it's like miracles happening. But you know what? It's been said that John Wimber prayed for two thousand people before anything happened. He prayed for two thousand people at least, and nothing happened. And then it gets to the 2001st, and suddenly things begin to happen. So what I'm telling you, and I'm not saying you need to pray for 2,000 people before anything happens, but I'm telling you, you never know what's there until you start laying hands. You might say, well, I've only been a Christian for three weeks. Listen, if you're filled with the Spirit, it's the same power that's on the inside of you. And it's not about intelligence, and it's not about what you know at the end of the day. It's about releasing that power into people's lives. So let's have more of that. Praise God. Laying hands on people and releasing the power of God so the burdens can be removed and yokes can be destroyed in people's lives. There is that concept uh, that is so prevalent in the body of Christ that if anybody needs prayer, oh, we need to get, you know, we need to get super saint here and to pray for so-and-so. We need to get the pastor. We need to get apostle so-and-so or prophet so-and-so to pray. Listen, every believer can pray for somebody else, believers or unbelievers alike and uh, release the power of God into their lives. Praise God. He He says, you shall receive the power of the Holy Ghost coming upon you. And because initially, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, the initial manifestation is speaking in tongues, speaking in a language that we've never learned before. It's a heavenly language. Uh, the Bible calls it the, the language of angels. And then once that's there, we have the evidence. We know that the Holy Spirit dwells on the inside. And then sometimes the Holy Spirit is just waiting to jump out and get on somebody. And one of the ways to get that to happen is to lay hands on other people. I mean, Jesus consistently went around laying hands on people. That not the only way. That wasn't the only way that he got people healed. But it is one of the main ways that we practice today. Uh, of getting people healed um, as we pray for them. He says, so basically, what is the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, it's the anointing. It's the anointing. Say, I have an anointing. Say, I have an anointing. I have the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. When I lay hands on sick people, they recover. When I cast devils out, They run off. All right, so we got that power. It's there. The anointing is the power of the Holy Spirit to remove burdens and to destroy yokes. As uh, In one of my last places of secular employment, I told this story before. There's a young man that uh, I had employed, and he's a lovely guy, and uh, anyway... Along the way, I kind of managed to sort of, um, you know, share Christ with him, and he actually got born again. Prayed the prayer, and um, he was all all thrilled and everything. And uh, one minute he tells me the story he says, Oh, one of my cousins is down from my country, and I don't know, up Gisborne Way or something, he's in hospital and he's got cancer. I said, Oh, has he? how old is he? Oh, he's just a boy. He's not, not even grown up. You're not even a teenager. He's just a boy. I says, oh dear, that's not good. So anyway, uh, he's sort of sharing the story how, you know, they were basically getting ready to write him off and, uh, and, and so forth. I says, listen, uh, I says, uh, next time you go up to hospital, and and I'm talking to a brand new believer here, not in church, doesn't know anything. All right. I says, next time you go up to hospital, I says, why don't you wait for a good moment? And, and nobody's around. I says, just lay hands on him, just lay one of your hands on, on him, and let there be physical contact, and just say, Be healed in Jesus' name. That's all you need to do, just say, Be healed in Jesus' name. And uh, he says, All right, I'll, I'll do that. Um, anyway, time passed, and uh, I sort of left it at that. And some weeks, I say, uh, how's, your, uh, how's your cousin? He says, Oh, it's all good. This is what you mean. You, you've been to see him lately in the hospital? No, he's not in hospital anymore. He's gone home. He's all good. <laughs> Bright new believer. Now, I'm not discounting that the uh, you know, young boy wanted to have treatment and everything, but as I say, things weren't looking good. They were getting ready to write him off. All right, to kind of make arrangements for, you know, having a tonguey or something. But anyway, here's this young guy, brand new believer. has got the Holy Spirit in him, goes along, lays hands on this other boy who has got cancer. He says, be healed in Jesus' name. And just in simple faith, just in simple faith, and the power of God flowed. Sometimes we complicate things too much. Don't complicate it. All right. Let's hands on people. If you're a spirit-filled believer, get your hands on people. Let me pray for you. Sharing along these lines with the ministers um, at our recent meeting there, and he says uh, they talked about miracles happening overseas and not so many miracles happening in in, in you know, in this country. There's miracles happening, all right, but I, it seems to me that we've complicated things somewhere. You know, up in, in the third world countries, everything is simple and easy. Uh, when I say it's not not very deep and very complicated, they just do the stuff that we're talking about here. Anyway, and he says, oh, so look, it's happening here. He says we had a young guy that got all fired up in our church. He got spirit filled. He says he went down there to into the city there and he went to a bus stop and there was a guy there with his crutches there and he's had one leg up and he's hopping around on one leg and he says let me pray for you and without even waiting for the man to answer he just went up there and he laid his hands on him he says be healed in jesus name and he took his crutches away (laughs) and and, and this guy starts jumping up and down he's got both legs working now and they've got a little mini revival going on in the bus stop there (laughs) just because somebody took the word for what it said, let's lay hands on, on the sick, and they shall recover. <laughs> okay. So let's not complicate it. <laughs> Let me pray for you, and away goes the crutches. Woost, <laughs> New Testament translation, and, and the same passage here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Woost's um, a marvelous man. Kenneth Woost is his name. He's a Bible scholar. He translated the whole of the New Testament. uh, And here's how he puts it in Acts 1.8. He says, you shall receive power of the kind which God has and exerts after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So when we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive the power of the kind that God has. The power of the kind that flowed in and through Jesus. It's the same anointing. People say, you know, you know, Jesus you know, his anointing was up here and ours is down here. Listen, it's the same anointing. Jesus already said, the same works that I do, you will do also, and you'll do greater works. And we're not diminishing from Jesus from who he is and and from the the position that he occupies as as the second member of the Trinity and that he's to be worshipped. We're not diminishing him to say that the same power flows through our life because it's the same Holy Spirit. And what's interesting is that these uh, 12 disciples that Jesus had spoken to and, and, and the others that were there, Specifically, the 70 uh, disciples whom Jesus had sent out to also preach and heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the lepers. They would already operated temporarily in the power of God. Because Jesus says, I give you power, he says, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the lepers. He says, freely you have received. He says, freely give. So they would already temporarily operated in the power of God. But now... Jesus is saying, now when the Holy Spirit comes in you, the power is not going to be just not there and then not there again. He says the Holy Spirit will be with you and the Holy Spirit will be in you. He says you'll become carriers of the presence and of the power of God. And if you're a born again believer, you're a carrier of the presence and of the power of God. You're a container and you're carrying the Presence and the power of God with you. And God wants you to spill out the, the presence and the power of God wherever you go. And, of course, the whole deal here with Acts chapter 2, verse 1, we've read it before. Let's just read this again. Boy, this spins my wheels every time I read it. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. You know what? Uh, when Jesus says, wait in the city of Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit has come, um, and one translation says "tarry." Tarry is just an old English word for wait. Um, what were they supposed to wait for? Until the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, some days after Jesus told them to wait. Do you know what? There's believers around the world that are still waiting, still waiting, still having what they used to call tarrying meetings. You know, in the Pentecostal. Uh, environment, they have church services, they have gospel services, and then they got tearing meetings. And tearing meetings, and anybody that's done any reading or any listening to the old-time Pentecostal, say, all right, let's, let's wait, because there are still people here that have not been filled with the Holy Spirit, so let's all come and let's wait. So they all come to the front, and they're all praying, and they're all, oh, Lord, give us the Holy Spirit, oh, God, you know, and, and everything. But you know what? As soon as a person is born again, I mean, this instance, within a couple of minutes, if we instruct them right, we can get them filled with the Holy Spirit, there's no more waiting required. The waiting was only supposed to be done until the day of Pentecost. Once the Holy Spirit had been put out in the earth, anybody, any believer can receive him any anytime without waiting. The reason why people wait is because they've not been instructed on how to receive, and others have not been instructed on how to minister the baptism with the Holy Spirit. As we deal with all of that in our foundational study courses. So the believers are equipped to be able to minister the baptism with the Holy Spirit. I think one of my biggest concerns is that we got churches around the world, um, believers around the world that are not filled with the Spirit, that are lacking, missing a vital component to get the job done. Then we got other people that are Spirit-filled believers that don't do anything with it. (laughs) The day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all together in one place in one accord. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. Praise God. Divided up. Everybody was included. All were filled. All were filled. And it's not right that we have a meeting. And we might say, might say, pray for 10, 15 people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Five get filled, and ten go home empty-handed. It's not right. Why we have not been instru- instructed them properly? It's, it's all about teaching and instructing people. Praise God. And they began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance, as the Spirit. Gave them words. One of the best ways to get used to the function of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to pray in tongues. The whole nine, we haven't got time to get into all the details, but there's nine specific gifts of the Spirit. Tongues, interpretation, and, and uh, you know, gifts of miracles, and prophecy, and all of these other things. The, the doorway into all of these things is speaking in tongues. Prayer meetings ought to be one war where everybody speaks in tongues. So shortly after this experience here, Peter and John go up to the temple for a prayer meeting. And they get up there and in Acts chapter 3 verse 6, they walk past a man that had been sitting there for years, begging. He was a man that had been Physically handicapped. He couldn't walk. They basically laid him down or they sat him down at this place. And he's basically holding out his hand. He's begging. And Peter walks past him. And remember, Peter's just been filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, the same Peter that was hiding uh, not so long ago is now bold. I mean, he's out there. (laughs) And he says to, to him, he says, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up. And walk. And he also didn't wait for the man to get up. He says he took him by the right hand and he lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength, so that he leaping, he says, leaping up, he stood and he walked and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Um, says silver and gold have I none. Silver and gold I don't have. People say, well, there you go. Peter was a poor man. Well, can I suggest he just didn't have anything on him? (laughs) Left his wallet at home. (laughs) Didn't bring his credit cards. (laughs) But such as I have, I give you. What did he have? I got the power of God. I got the anointing. You got a burden in your life. You got a yoke that's keeping you down. Let me remove this thing from your life. And he asked him, and then he just never even waited, just grabbed him by the hand, lifted him up. You know what, these miracles don't happen until somebody gets out there beyond themselves and says, let's get this thing happening. Let's let's pray for this guy. Somebody pray for him. And that's exactly what they did. So what did he have? Peter had the burden-removing and the yoke-destroying power of God on his life, as does every other spirit-filled believers. Luke 9, uh, 24, verse 49. moving quickly now. Jesus speaking, behold, he says, I sent the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. Every believer that has been baptized with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues has the power of God flowing in their lives and then quickly now in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 21 it says but now he who established establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God who has also sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts is a guarantee so it's basically telling us that every believer who is filled with the holy spirit has the anointing so say we got this thing of looking to Super saint, oh, they got the anointing, oh, this one's got the anointing. No, we all have an anointing. Every single believer has the anointing. You know, they used to talk about, in old-time Pentecost, they used to talk about the priesthood of all believers. You know, because centuries ago, you had the clergy and you had the laity. By the way, there's no, no such definition in the Word of God. We're all, we're all priests, kings and priests, the Bible says. So he had the clergy who did all the work and did all the whatever they did, and then he had the laity who had no idea. And then the the, the word of God was preached in the language that people couldn't understand. I mean, what a tragedy is that? What is the point? (laughs) Matthew 16, verse 15. Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. He's telling them about preaching the gospel. He says, and the results will then speak for themselves. Whoever believes is going to be saved. Whoever does not believe, he says, he will go to hell. Um, And these signs shall follow those who believe. And here is the, the important part. These signs shall follow them who believe. People say, these signs shall follow all the ministers. No, these signs shall follow those who believe. He says he says, "In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. and they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover." Who is they? Well they, the believers, will lay hands on sick and they, the, the, the sick people, will recover praise God. So, you know, the anointing is not just exclusive to ministers. Ministers got a specific anointing to stand in one of the ministry offices, but as far as the believer's works is concerned, every believer can do that. He says that they went out, uh, Matthew 16, verse 20, and the Lord working with them on confirming the word through the accompanying signs. The Lord working with them with the accompanying signs. Friend, let me summarize. You are anointed to preach the gospel to lost people. It might not be in public meetings, but you're anointed to share with friends and family members and workmates to uh, you got the power of God to share the gospel with them. You can lay hands on sick people and see them recover. And if you see somebody that's clearly demon-possessed or demon-oppressed, don't call for super saint. You get right up there and get real bold and say, come out in Jesus' name, because you got the power to cast out devils. And as I said, let's get some of that happening a bit more. Out in the streets and most definitely start practicing more in our small group gatherings where you come together. Let's, let there not be a single meeting go by without praying for somebody. Not only will it help the people that we are praying for, but we are practicing the power of God and the more we Practice the more proficient we become at it, and this is all about the anointing. Say, I have the anointing in Jesus' name, I can lay hands on the sick and they will recover, I can cast out devils.